people in society need to realize, help defend the right to report, right? That's uh, the right to report without anybody pulling out a gun and shooting you, right? That's it. Um, criticize me, sure, right? But, you know, don't, don't, don't throw rocks or fire guns. Welcome to the Love Journalism Show. I'm your host, Darren Samuelson. We're talking today about journalism security, threats to press freedom, and the challenges we face reporting the news around the world and here in the United States. My guest is Frank Smythe, an independent, award-winning investigative journalist and a global authority on these topics. He's also the author of the NRA, The Unauthorized History, published in 2020 by Flatiron. Frank, thanks for joining the Love Journalism Show. My pleasure, Darren. What are the threats that journalists are facing today? Well, there are more journalists uh, in jail now in different nations around the world than ever before uh, since CPJ began, the Committee to Protect Journalists began keeping records, uh, which goes back 30 years. The the organization itself goes back uh, uh, more than 40. But uh, I think the combination of the COVID-19 pandemic, declining uh, economic situations uh, around the globe related to that, supply chain problems and, and uh, other issues, combined with the political polarization that has t- uh, uh, we've seen in many nations, not just in the United States and the West, and the rise of authoritarian governments of both right-wing and left-wing stripes in different continents and different nations around the world, all of that has led a number of governments to imprison more journalists than ever before. And that's, the, that's the, the number one threat at the moment. The long term, the greatest threat to press freedom is uh, my former boss, Joel Simon, said some years ago at the Committee to Protect Journalists, was and still is impunity for murdering journalists around the world. A journalist gets murdered roughly uh, or has been murder, murdered over the, in recent decades once every two weeks or so. And the impunity rate for murdering journalists has hovered around 87%. And the latest figures that I've seen have seen it drop to to as low as 79%. But that still means that previously, nearly three out of four journalists killed around the world were murdered. And the the rate of impunity, or the the times where the killers got away with it, was nearly three out of four, uh, or excuse me, in nearly nearly nine out of ten cases. Now it's uh, it's uh, more than or, or close to four out of five cases uh, of journalists are never prosecuted. And uh, that's the combination of murdering journalists with impunity and imprisoning them are the two threats. And we're also seeing the third threat is an increasing number of journalists being killed in armed conflicts, first in Syria, where the Assad regime used uh, carpet bombing and uh, and uh, dropping various uh, explosives packed with nails in urban population centers, killing civilians, including journalists. And now the Ukraine war, the indiscriminate shelling by Russian occupying forces has claimed a great many civilians, including journalists, who've also been killed uh, in what looked like targeted shootings of, of those journalists in those countries. Uh, but so, so it's really three things, imprisonment, impunity for murdering journalists, and then journalists dying in increasingly dangerous wars with rising human rights abuses in Syria and Ukraine. How have things changed over the years? You've been studying this for and, and working on this issue for, for decades. Give me a sense of where we are in 2023 compared to 
2013 or 2003 or, or the 90s? Well, the, the rate of murders compared to other killings has gone down, but that isn't necessarily a good thing. It just means more journalists are dying in combat. Uh, so that's one thing. We're also, there's a couple of myths that are out there. One, one of them is that it's terrorists that are killing, murdering more journalists than anyone else. This really isn't true. Uh, CPJ figures from 1992 through 2010 showed p- terrorists and other uh, political groups that are not part of the government or opposition groups murdered about 30% of all journalists that were murdered uh, over those years. But government forces uh, of one kind or another murdered uh, 29% of all those journalists murdered. And allied paramilitary groups uh, killed another 7%, right? So actually, government forces and their allied paramilitaries have killed more journalists over the decades than even terrorist groups and other and other uh, non-governmental political groups. Uh, and that's something to keep in mind. Um, these murders of journalists are still continuing. That's changed. But it's the impunity rate that seems to have dropped from 87% to uh, 79%. And I say that because, one, if one knows how to manipulate CPJ's Journalist Killed database, which I helped build some uh, years ago, uh, one can f- glean that number from the data, but from but CPJ has yet to uh, make any uh, publicity about that number, which surprises me because it represents an improvement in the rate of impunity after CPJ spent 16 years on its campaign against impunity, funded by the Knight Foundation, and there might be reasons for that, but um, uh, there has been an improvement, even though nobody seems to know that. Hmm. Right. And um, the other thing I think that's changed, which I think people are more aware of in the United States, is the attitude toward the press has been bad for a number of decades. But now it's getting worse. People are hostile to the press in a number of different nations. And these journalists that are being imprisoned in record numbers now around the world are being accused in many cases of putting out fake news. Right. Picking up on some of the rhetoric that Donald Trump uh, put out there. And uh, or being accused of acting in some way uh, against the state, some crimes against the state, which really means just criticizing the government. So this uh, this attitude of hostility toward the press and being encouraged by government leaders is also greater than it's ever been uh, in recent years. And that includes the United States, but also Hungary, uh, Nicaragua uh, and other nations. Right. Uh, And it's hard to tell. Uh, these are both, you know, both right wing and left wing uh, groups. Anytime they that a journalist is critical of them, they find easy ways to scapegoat the journalist or the news outlet instead of dealing with the facts at hand. Uh, countries in the world uh, in terms of jailing journalists are Iran, China, Myanmar, Turkey and Belarus. Uh, I'm curious, what's what do you think is the through line uh, through those countries? What, why are they at the top, and and have they always been at the top? Well, uh, Iran being at the top of the list is somewhat new. They've always had journalists in prison, but they have more in prison now because of the 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 uprisings they're dealing with against the regime. And what Iran and China both have in common is they're both one party states, right? Iran is an Islamic republic under the control of. Of, of Islamic, Shia Islamic jurisprudence or Islamist jurisprudence, I would say, uh, and they run. Uh, they they have all supreme authority in the nation, which people, especially women, are now 
are now rising up and trying to, uh, to change and ultimately overthrow. China, the Communist Party, has a complete monopoly on political power and on most economic power. China now operates as, uh, as the largest monopoly capitalist regime in the world, all centralized uh, in the name of and under the power of the ongoing Chinese Communist Party, which is ironic, but it's continuing. Myanmar is, was not on the list before, but now because of its, its crackdown on the opposition, its crackdown on the Rohingya and other ethnic groups and ongoing fighting there, including near the Thai border, Myanmar has found necessary uh, to jail journalists in order to silence them from criticizing and calling attention to the abuses that the Myanmar uh, military is committing. Uh, so they're in a slightly different category and somewhat new. Turkey has been on the list for a number of years, and Erdogan uh, has been imprisoning journalists and targeting journalists now for well over a decade, but it's escalated uh, in recent years as he's found uh, increasing problems as well as economic issues in the country that he's trying to draw attention away from. And Belarus has always uh, jailed journalists. And remember, Belarus and Myanmar are both small nations. So the fact that these are aggregate figures of, of journalists in prison. So on a percentage-wise, uh, Myanmar and Belarus are even worse than, uh, Iran, than Iran, China, and Turkey uh, because they're small nations with a great many, relatively speaking, journalists behind bars. Uh, talk to me about Latin America, which is seemingly on the list through and through from year to year. Um, it's up there as well. What's What are the takeaways and the dangers to journalists in Latin America? Well, you wouldn't necessarily know this from CPJ's recent Journalist Killed report, unfortunately, but all the uh, but in Latin America, all the journalists that were killed were outright murdered, murdered in homicides. That's when you get two shots in the back of the head when you're walking out of your home. Uh, um, or uh, Javier Valdez Cardenas some years ago in Sinaloa shot dead in broad daylight in downtown Sinaloa. These crimes have been happening for, an, for a very great many times, especially in Mexico, but also in other nations. So in Latin America, it's the ongoing murder of journalists with near blanket impunity. Uh, the rate of impunity is still uh, somewhere between 80 and 90 percent in Latin America. And uh, that this is an ongoing problem. It's something that the first campaign project against impunity funded by the Knight Foundation through the Inter-American Press Association dates back over 25 years to 1995. But it's still a problem in Latin America. And I think there are reasons for that. Latin America has the highest inequality of any other continent in the world. And this leads to uh, reasons, uh, need to control dissent and also to, uh, to uh, control populations. And uh, the resorting of, 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 sh of murdering journalists is still great. But you also have journalists like Jose Ruben Zamora, a colleague and an old friend of mine in, from El Periodico in Guatemala, who's now in prison on trumped-up charges, whose colleagues are now being investigated on more trumped-up charges. So it's not only uh, murdering journalists isn't the only way for governments and other parties to control the press. The advantage that murder gives to the perpetrators is they have plausible deniability. Well, we didn't kill them because the nature of a homicide is, you know, a crime is committed. You don't know who did it. Uh, uh, it shows uh, almost a greater sense of desperation when regimes find themselves needing to imprison journalists. And I'm not saying one is, is, uh, is better or worse than the other. However, when it comes to press freedom, one of the reasons that CPJ has said in the past 
that it's the impunity for murdering journalists is the greatest threat to press freedom is because murdering journal, putting journalists in prison, jailing them is a heinous act. But murdering them gives a finality that is uh, irreversible and uh, is ultimately, I think, worse than most people would agree. And, uh, of course, has a devastating effect on their families, their colleagues in society, right? Because you're not just murdering a journalist, you're murdering a voice for an exponentially more people. So um, these problems are occurring simultaneously in Latin America, and uh, we're seeing things getting worse, not better. Here in the United States, the the statistics are obviously smaller in terms of the number of journalists who have uh, been killed, but we've seen a number of very high-profile murders, deaths in recent years in Orlando. We just had a local television journalist Dylan Lyons killed a photographer who was with him injured while they were covering an actual shooting scene in uh, Florida. Uh, we saw in Las Vegas, the investigative uh, journalist Jeff German stabbed to death. Uh, a local official is charged and uh, is planning to defend himself in that criminal case. Uh, there's been a number of other high profile cases, the Capitol uh, shooting in, in outside of Annapolis in 2018, uh, five journalists mm-hmm. killed, two injured. And then in 2015 in Virginia, uh, local reporter Allison Parker and her photographer Adam Ward killed. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about the difference between, you know, those local news uh, reporters around the United States facing uh, these kinds of threats and some of the international uh, stuff that we just talked about. Well, there's, I would separate out the recent Orlando shooting of the journalists where the, uh, the, perp, the, the suspect shot uh, a woman and then came back to the scene of the crime and then shot. Uh, a journalist and uh, a, n- a nine-year-old uh, child, uh, and the and the one the Virginia shooting uh, where uh, the individual shot uh, the on-air camera correspondent and her her camera operator. Um, those are two uh, are part of a trend that is getting worse in the United States and has gotten worse since the pandemic. My training firm GJS Global Journalist Security, we've rece- received reports. Uh, from a number of news organizations, especially in and around New York City, telling us that camera uh, trucks have taken the logos of their local news station. Eyewitness News, right? Used to be, I, I grew up in, the, in New Jersey in, the, in, that, in that audience uh, uh, domain. And um, it used to be that the news was considered to be on your side on some level. They had, that was their brand and to some, some degree they lived up to it. But now there's a great deal of hostility to the press that isn't necessarily even politically motivated, but the political uh, animosity and the vitriol that's been put out there, especially coming from the MAGA folks and from uh, Donald Trump himself, seems to have seeped through society. So people who are a little bit more emotionally unstable or, uh, or, or angry or have, a, have a, a beef they want to get off their chest, as soon as they see a journalist, they see a scapegoat that they consider fair game to attack. So journalists have been accosted, if not outright attacked, while reporting reporting things like the weather or doing a stand-up in their own community. And it's not necessarily even political. It's just hostility to the press. And I think that's part of what carried over recently in Orlando and then in that Virginia shooting back in 2015. Now, the, two, uh, the, two, the murder of Jeff German in Las Vegas last year was a different case where he was that's much more like the, the journalists who get murdered around the world, where you have an investigative reporter who starts investigating a matter, starts having an impact because the, the local official that he was investigating was not reelected 
And most people seem to think that Germans reports played a role in that. And now that same county official who was not reelected is now facing a murder trial over the murder of uh, Jeff German, which is exactly what you want, that if somebody uh, uh, murders a journalist, that they're held accountable uh, and brought to trial to, uh, to see if there's enough evidence to, uh, to reach a conviction, right? So that's a case that fits uh, the pattern that we've seen uh, around the world. The difference is there's been prosecution and prosecution very quickly, uh, which is rare for most of the rest of the world, unfortunately. And the Capital Gazette case, right, where the individual went into the offices and killed, I believe, five uh, members of that staff, right, in their offices. That was a horrendous massacre. And that kind of, of massacre of journalists, a mass shooting of, of journalists in their offices, that doesn't happen and hasn't happened much in a lot of nations uh, in the rest of the world. That seems to be uh, somewhat unique to the United States. And it's the combination of the animosity toward the press in that case and the relative easy availability of, of, of firearms uh, in most states in the United States. And if you can't get it in one state, you might be able to uh, get somebody uh, to have bought it in another state and then transfer it directly to you or through uh, a middleman. So uh, that's a case that that disturbs me. Yeah. But either way, what it shows is that the United States is not immune to these kinds of attacks on the press. Some years ago, there was a case, uh, 2007, I believe, of Chauncey Bailey, who was murdered in Orlando, I'm sorry, in uh, Oakland, uh, California. And the suspects uh, from what an establishment called your Black Muslim Bakery, which was less of a bakery and more of a criminal organization, ended up being uh, tried and uh, convicted of that murder. Uh, that was one of the first cases uh, of uh, a, a, an enterprising reporter being murdered over the work in the United States in a while. Although uh, for a number of years in, in the 90s and in the 2000s, we saw in the United States murders of journalists operating within ethnic enclave communities, such as Vietnamese-speaking communities uh, where uh, immigrants that are still speaking Vietnamese, newspapers and out radio outlets still reporting in Vietnamese, that some of the reporting was angering people within that community who were also Vietnamese speakers. And there were some murders uh, that took place uh, um, uh, of journalists in that, in that context as well, which of course can't be discounted. And then there was the one of a uh, uh, the, the Spanish-speaking newspaper in New York where a journalist was murdered, uh, I believe, in 1995 uh, uh, over their report. So the United States is not immune to it, but the murders here are going up as well. Mm. But the animosity uh, and general accostments and attacks against the press are really rising. And that's something that no one should take lightly, because once this climate of hostility starts to spread, it's only a matter of time before it results in violence. Mm. After the Orlando uh, shooting just uh, recently of the television journalist Al Tompkins over at Pointer, I uh, had a really uh, moving column where he, he talked about the journalists that he was texting with after it, uh, journalists who work in local television, confused, angry, scared, concerned. They do the exact same thing as these journalists, you know, going to the scene of a crime. They're sitting in their trucks, they're writing their stories, they're, they're, they're moving their tape. Uh, on to back to the to the network. Uh, they're worried about, you know, when they cover stories about guns, they're called anti-gun. Uh, if they don't ask questions about guns, they get hit uh, that they're not in asking important questions. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, you're advising reporters out in the world, um, but here at home, I mean, what should, um, you know, a local reporter be doing to protect themselves 
as they go about their daily uh, routine? Is there anything different that they should be doing? Well, what we encourage people, and we're starting to offer uh, some training in this regard, is, re- is in- enhanced and increased situational awareness. You have to sort of keep your, your ear out. You need, I don't know if people necessarily need a security advisor, and we, we, we can provide them. We don't normally provide them, so it's not something that we have a direct interest in. But if you don't have a security advisor, then journalists need to take it upon themselves to be aware of their surroundings and make sure that nobody is working alone. At the very least, they're working in teams. Because when you're looking through a viewfinder, you, by definition, have tunnel vision. And if you're doing a report, you're looking into the camera. By definition, you have tunnel vision. So you've got to find a way that you have somebody who's part of the crew who's keeping an eye out. So if you see somebody approaching, you can at least, hey, guys, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's stop reporting. Let's, let's get in the vehicle. Let's leave right? Uh, before somebody just comes up and opens fire. But um, the problem of the easy availability of weapons in the United States is added, adds an element to this that doesn't exist in, uh, in most other nations that aren't, that aren't in the middle of a, of a live active war. And uh, that creates a problem in the United States that I think, and I write about this, as you know, Darren, uh, as a journalist myself covering the NRA and and like-minded groups. This is a problem that, uh, that we face in the United States, and it poses a, an especial risk for journalists because it means that those people who are, who are inclined to attack the press now can find it an easier means to do so, and that's very dangerous. And these examples, right, can lead to copycat-style uh, uh, killings and executions, and that's something um, that I'm concerned could escalate going forward. Yeah, the copycats was something I was just reading about and, you know, having a couple of incidents now in the last three, four, five, six months. Um, is that indeed something that journalists need to be a little bit more especially vigilant about is in the days and weeks after uh, journalists somewhere in America or around the world uh, that, that indeed another one uh, could happen? Uh, people feel emboldened? Yes, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in two weeks. It could happen, you know, two years later, right? It's, um, uh, you know, these things tend to percolate. Just like you see uh, shooters that decide they're going to target Latinos or they're going to target uh, a synagogue, right? You know, it happens. They can be months and years apart. It doesn't mean they're still not taking inspiration from each other. The attacks on journalists seem to be more spontaneous. Um, and I, but I'm not going to take too much comfort in that, right? Because um, people see journalists and they feel, oh, they feel like they, they, are, they are somehow justified in, uh, in, in, in verbally accosting them, if not physically attacking them or opening fire on them. And this is, um, this is not the kind of thing that should happen in a democratic society, right? In a society that is uh, based on the rule of law. And uh, I, think, uh, I think it's good for people to criticize the press. The press is not above criticism. The press should be criticized and should be held to account like everybody else. Right. Um, There's no nobody gets a free pass, especially in including uh, not in including the press, because we can't criticize others and expect we're going to be above it. But criticize me, slam me. Right. Take me to to the carpet, but don't shoot at me. Right. That's that's when you're crossing the line. That's when you are when you are uh, you're moving way beyond legitimate dialogue and constructive criticism. And it's only a few people that commit these crimes. But the other people that are contributing to the vitriol need to realize that words have consequences. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump has 
put out vitriol against the press, against CNN reporters in particular. I went on CNN and and criticized Trump uh, for doing that, putting CNN reporters at risk at home and abroad. But everybody needs to realize when you put out that vitriol, it has consequences. If you don't like the way journalists are reporting, then find other information, which of course people are doing, or uh, or you know, or 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 put out your own information to challenge it. But uh, you, you know, resorting to violence, it, it it starts to move society down a path where we don't want to go. Right? There's um, uh, you know, we don't want to move toward an open a situation of open conflict. We don't want to move closer where the polarization that we've been feeling here in the United States and experiencing starts to translate into, uh, into more bloodshed, right? I don't think that's good for anyone. And uh, I think we all need to realize that, you know, you can, you know, the, the quote from uh, uh, um, Tom Paine, I believe, right? I, I, I disagree with what you say, but I defend to the death your right to say it. If he was the one, that quote comes from him. I mean, I, I think we all want to live by that view, but that doesn't mean, you know, that means, you know, yeah, I don't I don't like what Sean Hannity said about the election or Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram. But, you know, they they, they and they're getting sued now and they're going to be held accountable. And that's good. And I'm glad for that. But nobody should be threatening them. Nobody should be uh, calling for violence against them. That is not uh, the way a democratic society and democratic actors in that society should respond. What's the bare minimum that a journalist should expect from their news organization if they're working for a big company to do to protect, uh, you know, them and their staffs? And what else should they be expecting from news organizations? Well, um, you know, if their staff, uh, health insurance is probably the most important thing, right? And it's something that people need in society. And you know, even young people, if they get injured uh, and they survive the shooting or if they survive an attack, they're going to need health care. And one weekend in the hospital can bankrupt you, right? So, and if you need surgery, right, um, this could be a problem. So healthcare is number one. Insurance, right, is number two, especially insurance if you get injured on the job, right? Uh, In the United States, uh, you can insure full-time employees. If somebody is part-time, meaning they work less than 35 hours a week, they can't get workman's compensation insurance. The system is set up that they have to get their own insurance, and a lot of people go without insurance. A lot of journalists go without insurance. A lot of photojournalists have historically, notoriously operated, including in war zones, without any insurance. So I would. So it's health insurance, uh, lie, you know, insurance in case in case they get injured beyond health insurance, and uh, and also some level of training. And I have an interest in training. Not necessarily everybody needs training. Not everybody needs a three day hostile environments and emergency first aid course, but some level of training is good, right? If nothing else, to help raise situational awareness for journalists, to help give them some tools to to utilize things, to think about, to try and stay safe, uh, and give them some measure of confidence in their skills to know, to help them determine when it's when it's okay to keep reporting and when it's time to pack up and get out of there. Right. And we saw that in real time on January 6th, especially when you saw the one place where all the journalists, all the TV crews thought there were safety in numbers. And I guess there were there were places to plug in in that one spot where they all were until the MAGA people finally entered the spot. And then uh, the crews were forced to abandon their gear. And I know a, a, ver- a real veteran security advisor uh, uh, for one organization who was there, somebody who's been around. 
uh, and also was a former U.S. Uh, law enforcement official. And he said it just happened too fast, mm-hmm. right? You know, that they, that by the time they realized that there was a breach, there was nothing they could do about it, right? And also journalists don't want to be in a situation where you're fighting to defend your gear, right, on camera, right? That's not our role. That's not, you know, we can't do that, right? We can, you know, you can defend individuals if, you, if, that, if it comes to that. But, you know, your gear is something that, um, you know, there was nothing that, that, that could have been done. But that could have been much more dangerous than it even was. It could have led to bloodshed. And I'm very glad it didn't, right? But the, that, that, that incident, what happened that day was also very scary. There was also an AP reporter who was dressed all in black in a motorcycle helmet. And he was trying to sort of uh, blend in. And I understand what he was trying to do. But the crowd, the MAGA crowd on January 6th, didn't think that he was a journalist who was undercover. They thought he was Antifa taking pictures of them for purposes of law enforcement or retaliation. And, and, they, were, and they, were, they were accosting him and about to attack him. And he had to say, no, I'm not Antifa. I'm, I'm AP. I'm, I'm a journalist, right? And that was, um, you know, that was a good thing. That was his get out of jail free card. But that was, a, you know, not picking on him. I, I think he, he thought it would work. It didn't work. Right. But journalists have to be careful. Right. Um, And that was back when if you wore a mask, you'd be accosted by people like, why are you wearing a mask? They get they want to, you know, almost get violent at at somebody just because you are choosing to wear a mask. Right. You might have pre-existing conditions. You don't want to get COVID. Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. Well, you know, this is, you know, when we're when we're arguing about things like whether or not you have a right to wear a mask uh, at a time when people are being physically accosted you know, we've really, everything's sort of gone off the rails and um, we need to sort of regain our sense of civility and regain the sense that that press freedom and the right to disseminate information benefits everyone. It doesn't mean that you're going to like everything you hear. I certainly don't like everything I hear, right? Nobody does in this environment because it's so polarized, but we need to recognize that shooting each other is not the solution to this problem. Right. Having returning toward more civil dialogue uh, is better than um, than you than resorting to violence. We are, um, I guess, headed into the 2024 presidential campaign. Uh, There will be a Donald Trump campaign and uh, myriad other candidates potentially, too. So the rhetoric is going to no doubt get hotter as we get closer to the primaries in, in early 2024. Uh, with that in mind, and obviously having 2020 behind us and 2016 behind us, um, what else do you think society, uh, you know, news consumers, the audience at large do to help improve the safety of, of the journalists that are operating out there, not just covering politics, but as you just said, you know, it could be a weatherman, it could be someone, you know, uh, outside of a sports stadium, it could be covering local crime, you name it. But what can society do to improve the safety of journalists? Well, I think becoming uh, discerning news consumers helps, right? Subscribing to newspapers, especially local papers, right? Those that still exist uh, do a great role and do a great job. And local television uh, stations and radio stations, too. Listen to those stations. uh, Reply, respond to the comment section, right? Let people know that you are, uh, you're listening and putting, uh, sharing reports on social media. These are all things you can do but also taking an attitude that you recognize the value of reporting itself, right? That if you, if we have people that are reporting and people who are reporting who come from different perspectives is not necessarily bad. In Europe, 
you have uh, countries like Italy where you had the right wing paper, the, the, the right of center paper, the left of center paper, and then the left wing paper, right? All each one associated with a different political party, but it created a spectrum of views, which is not unlike what you have here. It's just here it's not connected to parties. It's more connected to uh, more more contemporary political movements. But recognizing that the diversity of opinion is there's a value in that, that I hate what you report, right? Taking that view, you know, hey, I disagree with you. Let's have a dialogue, you know, and I've I've tried that myself on social media. And sometimes, you know, I had a relative I had a block on social media because he was attacking my friends, you know. And uh, and I tried not to for a long time. It finally became, you know, unbearable. And, you know, we're still we still like each other. I haven't seen him, but if I see him in the next family event. It'll be it'll be fine. But, you know, sometimes it gets heated, including heated within families. And that's, you know, my, my family is no exception to that. But recognize that, hey, we may disagree, but we're still we're still all Americans. Right. We still uh, we still live in this land. Right. We all have, may have different views about about what's important of its history. Right. And uh, part, you know, and uh, and uh, even who's an American now can be kind of political. But uh, but recognize that a diversity of opinion is healthy, right? That's what I think people seem to forget, right? And we live in a country where, you know, in other countries, other opposition views are just crushed. And we're seeing that from, you know, Hungary to Mexico now, right? The, uh, the current left-leaning president of Mexico seems to be moving in an authoritarian bent. Ortegas, the Ortegas have already moved that way in Nicaragua, right? We're seeing that Bolsonaro was trying to do that in Brazil. Right. We're seeing that uh, you have a right wing government in Greece now that seems to have been moving in that direction for a while now and is highly critical of the press. And I recently was there for a training uh, and they're, you know, they're they're investigative journalists are, are struggling to maintain their own ground, to maintain that space. But so people in society need to realize, help defend the right to report. Right. That's uh, the right to report without anybody pulling out a gun and shooting. you. Right. That's it. Um, criticize me, sure, right? But you know, don't 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 throw rocks or fire guns. 